the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by Border Hawk News on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador. George Rodriguez. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador. Welcome to our show today on this Saturday, February 12th, 2022, Lincoln's birthday. Remember that? I remember, you know, we used to make such a big deal when I was in elementary school and in junior high about uh, the issue that uh, Lincoln's birthday and Lincoln was uh, the uh, great president that had uh, seen us through uh, a, a major, major crisis, uh, the Civil War, that he had freed the slaves. I mean, you know, it, 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 just wonderful pride that we had in this president. And now uh, I understand some universities are removing his uh, his statues and uh, criticizing him severely, I guess, because he wasn't a member of Black Lives Matter. Uh, I, I'm not sure exactly what the heck, or maybe he was anti-illegal uh, uh, immigration. Uh, I'm not sure exactly why they are removing him. Uh, but um, there are some people that have just gone overboard. So um, at any rate, welcome to the show on this uh, Lincoln's birthday, February 12th, 2022. We've got a great program for you, as usual. Thank you very, very much for joining us. Call your friends. Tell them to join us. Of course, those of you that um, those people that cannot get the uh, radio show live on the air, uh, they can always go to a podcast. They can always listen to it on podcast. They can listen to it on computer by going to KL, uh, KLUP 930 radio, uh, as well as uh, the, the program is always posted on uh, the radio site, as well as on my uh, web pages, my social web pages. We post the program, and uh, you can listen to the to uh, to the program that way too. So um, we encourage you any way that you want to. You can uh, you can listen to our program. We really really encourage your support. We need it. We appreciate it. Uh, so without further ado, let's uh, let me tell you who our guests are because we've got a bunch of good ones. Lots of things happening in San Antonio during the selection period. Uh, there's a very very strong effort. Even though, uh, how can I put it? There's a a, uh, a snowball's chance in hell. Yeah, that's how I'll put it. That uh, Democrats are really, really going to win uh, many of these, or any, many, any of these uh, elections in Texas. Uh, they are still making a strong effort. For example, uh, our first guest, Ken Ward, who is a freelance reporter here in San Antonio, is going to be chatting with us is going to be uh, talking about a recent visit to the Alamo City by none other than, uh, in fact, it's not recent, in fact, it's today, on Saturday, uh, the, a visit by uh, Ocasio-Cortez, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez from, uh, from New York, the socialist, the loudmouth socialist Democrat uh, who has made some outrageous statements, I mean, absolutely outrageous statements, that uh, borders are not needed, that... Uh, Cubans are better off under communism uh, because they can read. Uh, I mean, just out, uh, some outrageous, outrageous comments. Of course, again, she's an immature, insecure bartender that became uh, uh, a, a congresswoman because uh, of George Soros' money. Uh, otherwise, she'd still be bartending. So anyway, she's here in San Antonio uh, promoting some fellow uh, socialists uh, who I really don't think have a chance, but uh, it shows how bold they are. It shows how uh, much money they have to have the nerve to come into Texas and promote it. It's, uh, one of them is uh, this guy, Kassar, that uh, is a, a noted anti-police uh, socialist uh, in Austin. He is running against Lloyd Doggett, a Democrat uh, in Austin. And uh, then in Laredo, we've got uh, this lady, Cisneros, 
no relation to Henry, but she is another uh, an, another Ocasio Cortez Jr. She is a a, a raging uh, socialist lunatic. Uh, we also have Mr. Jay Wiley, who is host of Enforce Law Enforcement Today, the radio show. Uh, he's going to be chatting with us a little bit about the war on police, and then we also have Mr. Jason Jones. Newsmax reporter as well as good friend and border crime expert. He's going to be giving us, giving us an update of what is happening on the border uh, with uh, crime and with the uh, cartels, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Our final guest is uh, another very dear friend of mine, uh, Mr. Art Del Cueto. And Art is vice president of the National Border Patrol uh, Council, uh, the Border Patrol Union. Uh, and uh, I, wanted him, I wanted him to talk to us about not only what is going on within the ranks of the Border Patrol, but also what is happening uh, in Arizona. Uh, give, give us an update of uh, the immigration problems that are going on in Arizona. So, my friends, thank you very, very much for joining us today. I hope that you will call your friends, tell them to join us. I hope that you will uh, download the program and listen to it. Uh, if you are interested in contacting us, please do so through the uh, through the radio station. Remember that uh, it is pre-recorded, so we aren't taking any uh, telephone calls, as well as I have to thank our sponsor, Border Hawk News. If there is anything you want to know about borders, about immigration across the country, across the world, Border Hawk News is the place. So, without further ado, let's go to our first guest. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM radio here in San Antonio. And I've got um, I've, uh, I've, I've got Mr. Kenrick Ward, one of my very, very good friends, and Ken is uh, a uh, freelance writer, reporter, and uh, he and I have been chatting uh, the past couple of days about a visit, a pending visit this Saturday, uh, I believe it's Saturday the uh, 12th, Lincoln's birthday, how about that? Uh, we're going to have a special visit in Texas, in San Antonio specifically, of uh, the far-left celebrity congresswoman, uh, Miss uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And as most of you folks know, she is a very, very leftist socialist Democrat, and she is coming into town to um, campaign for two socialist Democrats. One of them from Austin, uh, Mr. Uh, Cesar Casar, uh, who is uh, who has served on the city council and is far to the left. I mean, the guy is a socialist. And then uh, there's another person who is running uh, against uh, Democrat incumbent incumbent. Congressman uh, Henry Cuellar from Laredo, uh, a woman named Cisneros. No relation to Henry, uh, but uh, she is also a far leftist. So, um, Ken, welcome to the show. Give us your thoughts. What do you th- What do you think about first of all her visit, and uh, and and then secondly, chances for her to rally folks uh, to uh, vote for these two far left socialists. Uh, well, George, it's good to be on, as always. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, I've been doing uh, some reporting down along the border in uh, Cuellar's district, and uh, when I saw that uh, Ocasio-Cortez was going to be in San Antonio, I thought, well, that's very interesting, because uh, my experience down in the Cuellar district uh, is that it's pretty conservative and getting more so. And uh, Ocasio-Cortez probably isn't going to be visiting Laredo, which is kind of the heart of that that district. Uh, Instead, she chooses to come to San Antonio, um, probably figures she can raise some money and get some good press. The Express News will certainly be happy to oblige. Uh, And her, you know, her dog and pony show that she runs around the country, whether she's vacationing in Florida or just stirring things up uh, anywhere outside of her own writing in New York City, uh, it's all to her benefit. Because, frankly, the, the media, whether it's left or middle of the road or conservative, it, it plays into her hands. Uh, you know, they get into questions about her, her dating, her personal life. It all goes to the narcissism of Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, doesn't necessarily translate into votes, but it makes for a good story and people have fun with it. So I think that's you know, the primary purpose of just getting her name out there and getting exposure into uh, markets uh, far from her own congressional district. Um, I don't think she's a you know a serious player in, in 
in the real sense of the word, but she has a, a certain hardcore backing, and uh, that does generate money, and I'm sure that's part of what the agenda is all about. Uh, you know, we live in a strange world here when a guy like Lloyd Doggett is considered to be a moderate. <laughs> um, Isn't that the truth? <laughs> yeah, that's just a you know, clown world. Uh, and Kazar, or Kazar, however you want to pronounce his name, as you described in Austin, is just a train wreck. Um, I'd be very surprised if he gets much traction. I didn't closely follow how that district of Doggett's has been uh, realigned, uh, if there's more Austin votes in there. But you know, there's a lot of people in Austin who don't like uh, Kazar. So um, I think he's going to be just sort of a nuisance. Um, the, the media, again, as they do with Ocasio-Cortez, will have, have some fun with him. Uh, but as far as a serious uh, candidate, uh, especially in this year when the trend seems to be going in the opposite direction, I don't see a far-left candidate you know, breaking you know, 20%. Uh, I'd be surprised. Um, so that's my, my just back of the envelope assessment of, of that particular race. As far as the Cuellar race is concerned, uh, this Jennifer Cisneros, uh, just, I, I don't think she's um, really got anything going for her besides hanging out with Ocasio-Cortez. Um, the district that she's running in against Cuellar uh, is composed of Webb County, which is Laredo. Uh, it also includes Zapata, um, Star County, a small portion of Hidalgo County, and then on up into uh, the rural counties of McMullen, Atascosa, and uh, parts of Wilson County. Now, all those counties, with the exception of parts of Hidalgo and Webb, are pretty conservative and becoming more so. Uh, you know, this is part of that red tide that uh, we saw uh, emerging in 2020, I believe, after two years of Joe Biden, uh, it's going to move even farther to the right. Uh, and working down there and reporting down there uh, in Zapata and Star particularly, um, you know, Trump won uh, Zapata County and he almost pulled it off in Star County um, and certainly carried McMullen and Atascosa and Wilson. Um, so that doesn't appear to be a very favorable district for whatever... Ms. Cortez, Ms. Cisneros uh, is, uh, is peddling. Um, the one, the wild card in the deck is that just amazingly and out of the blue, uh, Cuellar had his offices uh, raided, and there is supposedly a, an investigation going on, a federal investigation into something. It's all very vague and amorphous. The feds don't talk about ongoing investigations, so we really don't know what's going on. But uh, you don't have to be a, a rabid conspiracy theory theorist wearing a tinfoil hat to wonder as to the timing of that very vague investigation on Cuellar. It does muddy the waters for him. Uh, it makes it a little more difficult for him. Um, he's also considered, uh, more so than Doggett, a moderate. So uh, it seems to me that his voting record is pretty favorable and in alignment with um, the sensibilities of voters uh, down in that part of the Rio Grande Valley um, and certainly in the, the upper counties. So uh, I think Cisneros has a tough hill to climb there. Uh, that would be my my assessment at, at this point. Um, you know, maybe something more definitive will come out in this investigation about Cuellar, what what's actually going on there. But at this point, we really don't know. Um, yeah, I think Cisneros and Kazar both are just trying to, to ride whatever little wave um, that Ocasio-Cortez can, can create in the media. Yeah, definitely what they're trying to do is push the, uh, the Democrats in the area much further to the left. And, um, again, I don't know if that's a very good strategy. I mean, obviously, we've got Beto running for, for governor and pushing, you know, uh, who was pushing to the left substantially. And he's being pretty quiet on collecting uh, guns and, and opening the border. 
these folks, I mean, I'm not sure what, uh, I mean, other than, than health care for everyone, that's been the only thing that I've heard uh, from Cisneros, and I haven't heard that much from uh, from Kazar, uh, but uh, both of them, I mean, I'm not sure what, what message they can get. Yeah, I mean, it's the old rule, whether you're talking about a Republican primary or a Democrat primary, you want to try to uh, get the base um, mobilized, motivated, and that usually means running to the left in the Democrat Party. But it's like the Democrat Party has gone so far left, uh, I think they've got themselves into a corner where that strategy doesn't make a lot of sense. I get that they have primary competitors. They, they have to win the primary to get to the general, and uh, evidently that's the only card they, they have to play, which is just go left. Um, but I think with the general electorate, uh, that can come back to haunt you, because how do you recant those promises and those positions uh, when it comes to November? So I guess they're just taking it one step at a time and, and doing what uh, the operatives tell them to do. And so you get Ocasio-Cortez jumping in here to try to give them the name recognition that will at least get into the primary. Yeah, well, it's very, very interesting that, you know, Henry Cuellar, the, the Democrat incumbent in Laredo, has already come out swinging uh, against her visit. Uh, I haven't heard anything from Doggett, but it'll be very, very interesting how the Democrat uh, establishment uh, in Laredo, the, de- the Democrat establishment in, in Austin, uh, react to these uh, to these wild out radicals. I mean, these leftist radicals. Anything else yeah, you'd I mean, like to share with us before we we let you go, buddy? Okay, I was just going to say Texas uh, isn't necessarily the you know, rock ribbed conservative place that it's portrayed in the national media. People who pay attention to these things are seeing some some cracks in that, and uh, this is uh, could be all up for for grabs. We'll see. Yeah, really. You know, scary. What a what a scary thought. But it's uh, that's the reality that we're living in right now. The reality of clown world. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> Have a good one. Thank you very, very much. We've been speaking with our good friend Ken Ward with uh, a freelance uh, uh, reporter uh, regarding uh, the visit by Ms. Ocasio-Cortez this Saturday, February 12th to San Antonio. Thanks a lot for being with us, Ken. My pleasure, George. That's all thanks. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Hi, folks. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador. Looking for information on immigration, borders, refugee resettlement, asylum claims, nationalism, and globalism? Go to BorderHawk.News. BorderHawk.News has up-to-date information on these topics and their impact locally, nationally, and internationally. BorderHawk.News has the news that's not covered by the other media or websites. Stay informed on one of the most important issues in this country, immigration. Go to BorderHawk.News. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio in San Antonio. And uh, first of all, let me give out a shout to uh, my friends up in, in the D.C. and in the New York City area who've been listening. Uh, thank you very much for your for your uh, support. We've got a good friend of mine, Mr. John J. Wiley, who is uh, the host of uh, Law Enforcement Today, a very, very interesting, very, very good radio show. And uh, he, uh, in my opinion, he is an expert on what is happening in law enforcement and local law enforcement today. So I wanted to reach out to him because we have some craziness going on still. I mean, not only do we have a crime wave going on, uh, we've got Soros DAs all over the place, including here in San Antonio in our own backyard. We've got, um, uh, I mean, the terrible situation of uh, the number of police officers, law enforcement folks that have been shot uh, and killed in 2020, and we're only in the first month. And uh, the craziness coming out of the White House, as well as uh, certain localities, uh, most recently, where they want to give clean crack pipes to uh, uh, crack smokers. I mean, talk about rewarding bad behavior. I mean, I'm not sure what a better example there is. So, John, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us. Um, talk to us about the current atmosphere that you see. Uh, I mean, in 2022, the current atmosphere that you see regarding local law enforcement, because uh, at moments it it seems to be there seems to be a backlash of this uh, defund the police. But um, still, the problem continues. It does. And by the way, thanks so much for having me on your show. And it's always a pleasure to spend time with you, George, and and to have these conversations. First and foremost, the, the atmosphere, in my opinion, for law enforcement we talk about the criminal element. It, that's always been an issue. 
quite a few to uh, deaths by suicide. We lose quite a few to uh, COVID. COVID has been a huge killer of, of our law enforcement this year and last year alone. I can't, can't keep track of the numbers. But the big thing is, and this is what I talk to with, with most of my guests on my show, is being attacked by district attorneys, uh, the media, and politicians for doing things that they are not only supposed to do, they're required to do, and they're told to do. We're not talking about guys doing things, I say guys, that's men and women, doing things that are illegal. I'm not talking about it. I'm talking about people doing their job. I'll give you a good example. There's an officer in Charlottesville, Virginia. He was on my show. And back in the 80s, there was a horrible domestic violence incident in Torrington, Connecticut that changed the way police do business in the United States, every jurisdiction. And he was on a domestic violence call, and he grabbed the suspect and put him against a wall. For that, he was arrested, charged, and convicted of assault. He did what he was required to do, what he's supposed to do. And now he has civil liability. He also has criminal liability and a loss of income, and not to mention loss of reputation. And it's impacted not just him, but his family as well, and his extended family. And it's what he is required to do, and it's the right thing to do. That's the real issue, George, is when they're doing the right thing, doing their job, helping people, protecting people, and are being prosecuted. Not just persecuted, prosecuted. That's the real issue that I think a lot of American law enforcement has an issue with today. You know, and and uh, when people are trying to figure out, you know, why are we having a problem with uh, the rise in crime? Well, first of all, I mean, uh, I, I look, the first thing that I always look at is the disrespect there is for law enforcement, for police officers. And then the second thing is this... Um, you know, these George Soros DAs that we've got all over the place who have decriminalized everything, uh, not to mention then the uh, city councils, city governments themselves that have been taken over by uh, by by these leftists. Uh, all of that combined, I mean, it, it, it really is hurting uh, the police officers, is it not? It's hurting everybody. Uh, the people who need it most are the people who live in the highest crime areas, not the people living in walled communities with gated entrances, all those in surveillance cameras. The people who afford security have security. The people who can't afford it suffer the most. And, and it's been that way for as long as I can remember. And you're absolutely right. There's a saying I heard somewhere, and I'm going to paraphrase it, for politicians to get elected, they have to create an enemy and show themselves as being the answer to the enemy. And right now, what a lot of these people are doing uh, is portraying law as the enemy. They're ignoring large-scale criminal gangs, and I can list them all in all, and convince everybody, no, your local police are the enemy, and we are the solution. The problem is this. They don't have an answer. They don't have a solution that doesn't involve holding people accountable for what they do and incarcerating them. They don't want to do that. They'd rather use, here's the term, you hear it all the time, they'd rather use the coward's catchphrase, gun violence. Uh -huh. They don't talk about the criminals committing crimes. They don't talk about, hey, we keep letting them out. We don't talk about, we, we reduce their sentences, their incarceration, and let them back on the street. Even when they're a threat to society, we're still going to do it because we are cowards. And that's what they are. They're cowards, George. <laughs> you know, it was very interesting. Uh, I know that you worked at one point as an officer in Baltimore, and I was noticing the other day that even Baltimore is talking about uh, refunding the police. <laughs> Yeah, they did a, a little fast a bait and switch. I think they did, and I'm going to use exact, uh, examples. I don't have the exact numbers. They defunded the police there by about twenty million dollars. It was a big to do, a big show they made of it. Look at what we're doing. We're such brave leaders. Then, about three months later, through backdoor financing, they refunded them about twenty-eight million more. So they got an increase of in pay because the crime is so bad. The crime in Baltimore has been so bad for so long. The problem is, when I was policing in Baltimore before the crack epidemic, we had about 880,000 people in Baltimore, about 2,800 police, and we were averaging anywhere from 240 to 300 murders a year. Now they have about 650,000 people there. They're roughly the same number of police, although they're say, they say they're about 500 short. And their murders are more than that, but they have even a lower population, lower tax base, lower income, lower jobs, bad schools, you name it. It's a, it's a perfect example of what happens when 
going to let you go, but uh, anything that you'd like to add to us, to it before we let you go, buddy? I'll, I'll just say this. If anybody's considering a career in law enforcement, it's a great job, a great profession, a great vocation, a great way to help people. Uh, don't be discouraged and continue on. This is a phase. It's a pendulum. It'll swing back the other way. I appreciate it when you do, George. You got it, my friend. Once again, we've been speaking with our good friend uh, John J. Wiley with uh, Law Enforcement Today, the radio show, uh, you can catch them. How can they catch your show, buddy? Well, it's on 81 stations right now across the United States. Not in your markets yet. I'm working on it. But you can always listen to the podcast. Old episodes are available for free, audio on demand. Just do a search for letradioshow.com or Law Enforcement Today podcast, where the podcasts are served. You got it, buddy. Thank you once again. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador. And uh, we've got our good friend, uh, Mr. Jason Jones, the border crime expert and now uh, correspondent for Newsmax on the border. And uh, I wanted to reach out to him because he's been uh, very, very active the past week. And I wanted him to give us an update of what is going on. Uh, What is he seeing that's going on down at, uh, at the border? Jason, welcome to the show. Tell us, what is going on? Give us an update. George, as always, it's good to be with you, buddy. Yeah, we had an incredible week last week. We were embedded with the men and women of the Texas Department of Public Safety's Elite Aircraft Division as they're conducting a $1.8 billion, with a B, Texas taxpayer dollars funded border operation. And the reason this is important is because the federal government right now is not allowing reporters in to ride along with U.S. Customs and Border Protection, which is our largest federal law enforcement agency, to understand what is happening at that border and how it's happening there directly impacts our country and all of our citizens. So one of the only ways that we can really illuminate this thing is to go down and work with local and state law enforcement. And so we were embedded with Texas. And i got to tell you, it's incredible to see it from the air. Uh, these helicopters provide the ability to really be a force multiplier because they can use forward-looking infrared, and at night, George, it's incredible. You can truly see the Halcom network, which is the alien smuggling groups and the folks that have really the operational control of our southern border because when you're flying at night, you can see them on the Mexico side in the United States talking on radios, talking on cell phones, and they just are at every bend in the river. And then at the same time, all around them, you'll see rafts of people flowing into the country. And I'll tell you, all week long, we had video of that, and we were getting it out nationwide. So one thing I can tell you from being there this week, I haven't seen much of a change. Now, what I will tell you is that I think the numbers are going to be a little lower compared to what they were last month for the month of December when the January uh, apprehension numbers come out. But it's only going to be because of the cold. Not, you know, we've had these real cold snaps here hit Texas that last a couple of days. Those are going to play a pretty significant impact on the smuggling of people into the U.S. But overall, come February and March, it's going to start coming right back up. Now, this morning there was a report on Fox News um, that... uh uh, about the amount of uh, deaths that are occurring, particularly among young people, teenagers, high school, junior high kids, uh, who are taking drugs that are laced with fentanyl. Uh, however, there seems to be a complete and total denial by the Biden administration of where that uh, fentanyl is coming from. You're absolutely right. It's funny you mention this. As you know, I've been screaming about this for how many years now on your show and how we have got to look at the Mexican cartels for what they are doing. And it just conti- it's a continuation that uh, the federal government does not understand the animal that we are facing with these cartels. And here's what I mean by that. Um, the new DEA administrator, Ann Milgram, came out yesterday on CNN, and I give her credit because she's talking about starting a new initiative called Operation Overdrive, to target certain cities, to target the smugglers, to go after this fentanyl. Here's the problem. The the operation is going to be a win-win when it comes to trying to stop the local dealers. But strategically, at the strategy level, you cannot investigate your way out of this problem. 
and you cannot seize your way out of this problem. The cartels today have these mega labs in Mexico, and I'll give you a great example. One C one CJNG Cartel Jalisco New Generation Lab, which we call mega labs for methamphetamine, can produce anywhere from three to five tons of methamphetamine a week. Pill wow. mills for fentanyl, a million pills. So that's why these strategies, George, don't work. They're going to give you another operation. They're going to show you all the seizures. They're going to say we arrested 100 people, and it won't make any real significant change. And we've seen this both in Republican administrations and in Democratic administrations because they refuse to go after the problem, which is these cartels. One thing we do in the government is we attack the symptoms very well. We're going to go after human trafficking, right? You hear about it all the time. We're going to go after the drugs. We're going to go after the weapons. We're going to go after the money laundering. Well, when are you going to go after the problem? Because the problem is so much bigger in scope as the cartels are now a parallel government in Mexico. And just for everyone out there, when you want to see where we're really winning at this is when you start to hear how the Mexican cartels are the problem and then launching initiatives in Mexico to go after their labs because... These labs are producing way too much product. You can't seize enough of it. You just can't. Well, and, uh, you know, places like, uh, well, San Francisco this past week announced that they were going to have a special special building where people can uh, shoot up, uh, where they can use drugs freely, as they put it, without judgment, without anybody judging them. Apparently, they feel that that's the best way to address the issue of, of drug abuse. Yeah, and, you know, each community around this country does things that I think, you know, are good policies at the local level and bad policies at the local level. And, and we're going to see that. Where I have real concerns, George, is we are talking about 101 now. And you can add another 1,000 to this since last month when you and I were talking. 101,000 poisonings in this country, wow. overdose deaths, according to the CDC. That's not me just saying it. That's not the news talking about it. Go to the CDC website if you're listening right now and just look at it. Now, we you have never been here as a country. Yeah, you have advocated to um, uh, declare these organizations, these cartels, as terrorist organizations because they are indeed poisoning and killing uh, Americans. Uh, as uh, designated terrorist organizations, we would be able to go in and take them out, wouldn't we? We absolutely would, but really the reason that I advocate for this terrorism designation is because I'm trying to add speed to the system. See, our, our the way our system was created under Fourth Amendment, it moves very slow by design, and we all want that as Americans, but what we have to recognize is that transnational crime operating globally, impacting us, moves very, very fast. And we have tried the DOJ model of making these investigations and these arrests, and it doesn't work. So by designating them as foreign terrorist organizations, it does three major things. First, it allows us to remove any terrorist in this country immediately. That's a big win because you can't be here if you're a terrorist. So now I don't have to work a two-year case on them. I can revoke any visa or any legal means how they may be here. Second, I can just remove them if they're here illegally. Here's the other thing. You've got to remember, these cartels are operating around the world. CJNG is in 48-plus countries, Sinaloa, 54-plus countries. So now it limits their mobility globally because they're able to jump on aircraft, jump on ships, and travel legally all over the world. Well, as terrorists, now we can limit their mobility. And then third, you hear about going after the money. Here's what you're not told about that. It's still an investigation domestically, and it always will be. But when we're talking about them as terrorists outside the confines of our country, if they're terrorists, we can go after their money real time, and it would stun, absolutely stun the audience if you could see how quickly and how fast they move their money from one account to another account. you got to remember, they had accountants working for them, keeping up with their billions of dollars they're making year after year. So what I'm trying to do is set us up through policy and through law to have success. It's not about going to war with the cartels as much as it is building the processes for the future. Gotcha. Yeah, because, I mean, quite often we hear people, well, if they're going to be terrorists, we're going to have to go in with surgical strikes, and that'll mean a war with Mexico, that'll mean the U.N. getting involved. I mean, you know, that doesn't necessarily need to happen. If we can just shut them down economically, that would be 
Fantastic. That's right. They, and that's the way to go. And then use a lot of other things that we need to do with Mexico where there are some real issues due to corruption and, you know, uh, political figures in Mexico who are protecting these strugglers. And I'll give you a great example. The State Department recently put out $5 million reward for anyone that would tell us where the Chapitos, the sons of Chapo Guzman, are. And they put a $5 million reward on each child. And I just laughed at that because you got to remember, I come from the, the intelligence world in law enforcement. We know where they are. We know exactly where they are. We know who their girlfriends are. We know every house. We know their commanders that work around them. It's nothing but Washington, D.C., smoke and mirrors. And look, if when we are talking about 101,000 deaths in a 12-month period, it is time to get rid of this politics, stop protecting Mexico, who is one of our number one trading partners, and start doing what needs to be done to protect the American people. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing, George. You got it, buddy. Man, I you know, this is, um, I, I just keep looking for a silver lining, uh, but with uh, liberals in control of everything, uh, the White House, the Congress, the Senate, uh, I, you know, and then, of course, in control of the agencies that are supposed to be doing something about this, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I, I can't see. I just cannot see a silver lining at this point. How about you? I know that all of this is fixable. It is all fixable. Yeah, I, I do, too. We have the recipe for immigration. We know what it is. It's fixable. The issue with what we're dealing with from this overdose death crisis and many more national security, it's fixable. The problem is, you're absolutely right, at the federal law enforcement level, we are dealing with such institutionalized cowardice. I have never seen anything like it. And then, of course, the political issues as well. But if you're sitting at home and you're tired of hearing about this issue and you have lost a loved one, I want you to know that there are those of us out there that know exactly what needs to be done to fix this, and we're going to keep pushing until we get it done. You got it. We've, we've been talking to uh, our good friend Jason Jones, um, Newsmax reporter from the border, and uh, also uh, crime expert. Uh, Jason, anything else you'd like to say before we let you go? Uh, the only thing I would say is keep an eye on these overdose numbers. Uh, they're going to continue to rise until we make some hard changes. And so if you're listening, please reach out to your congressmen and your senators. We, we need to make some change happen, and we need to make it happen now. Uh, we got to move with a sense of urgency on this. You got it. Thanks a lot, Jason. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador. Hi, folks. This is George Rodriguez, El Conservador. Looking for information on immigration, borders, refugee resettlement, asylum claims, nationalism, and globalism? Go to BorderHawk.News. BorderHawk.News has up-to-date information on these topics and their impact locally, nationally, and internationally. BorderHawk.News has the news that's not covered by the other media or websites. Stay informed on one of the most important issues in this country, immigration. Go to BorderHawk.News. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM radio in San Antonio. And uh, we've got uh, our, our good friend, Art Del Cueto, who is the vice president uh, for the Border Patrol Council. And uh, Art uh, has been on our show before. He is actually stationed in, uh, in Arizona. And I wanted to reach out to him because... Um, uh, the recent reaction by uh, agents to uh, a, a Border Patrol chief here in Texas, as well as to Mayorkas directly, uh, I wanted to ask him about that, as well as, as well as to get an update of what is going on with uh, immigration in his area over there in, uh, in Arizona. Art, thank you for taking time to be with us. Uh, and welcome to the show. Tell us, what... Um, what happened with this uh, situation with Mayorkas and the agents? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. You know, it's always a pleasure to be on there. And, and you know, a big shout out to everyone out there in the San Antonio area. And so, look, this is what's crazy, George. So I've been out here for 18 years, right, in, in work patrolling in this area. But I've been in law enforcement for over 20. And when it comes to, like, Union issues. I was involved before, you know, in, in, in another agency. I've been involved in this one. 
always been that one voice for the agents where we can express, you know, the issues that are going on, the frustrations, the stress level, all of the above. And we've had leadership from CBP, from DHS, from Border Patrol, that they do their little dog and pony shows, is what I like to call it, across different sectors so they can speak to the agents, they can, in their words, try to get a feel of what needs to be done. So, but... This year, or this past year, it's been so frustrating for the agents out there. So agents usually, they come to the union officials and they say, hey, ask this question when they show up. Can you tell them this? Can you tell them that? Uh, it, it reached the boiling point is what it did. Now, I did not attend that muster. Um, you know, and Brandon Judd, the national president, he did not. We didn't attend that muster on purpose because uh, we knew that you know, the agents would be able to ask questions and then and, and feel comfortable uh, instead of just having to send them through us, uh, you know, and and that's essentially what happened. They explained their frustrations. They, you know, I guess you would even say they lashed out at the commissioner. And a lot of that frustration stems from, look, I understand that it's probably a difficult spot for my orcas, right? Uh, and even if, if people are calling for his resignation and his removal, it doesn't matter under this administration. They'll just put somebody else in that's going to continue the same, you know, modus operandi that he's having. It's, it's not going to change. That won't change because of the current president, uh, the current administration. That's it, it, They'll just continue with their agenda. But... We would expect, and when I say we, uh, I mean, you know, the agents, to, ex they would expect for a little bit more backing. And, you know, as a prime example, when, you know, and we've talked about it before, when you saw the agents on horseback down there in Texas that were, you know, using the split reins and they were twirling the reins in front of the horse's face so the horse would not run over the people that were trying to enter illegally, okay? And that's part of the training. Nothing was being done malicious. Nothing was wrong. And we would expect that, first of all, if not Secretary Mayorkas, the chief of the Border Patrol, Chief Ortiz, would have spoken up and said, no, hold on, guys. Before we start making these individuals villains, let me explain how the training process is. Let me explain how the equipment was, what is it, and everything would have been explained. But they never took the time to do that. They all took the time to attack the agents right off the bat. And we see it all over the place. There's countless amounts of investigation. Heck, I've been under investigation numerous times over things that are said, and it, it just it, it added to a boiling point where agents are fed up. Uh, they're, they're angry that they're out there risking their lives. They're arresting individuals that are entering illegally. They're arresting individuals that are bringing drugs into the country. They're, they, you know, often uh, they arrest individuals, and these individuals physically assault the agents. And we don't see any prosecutions. In fact, we see the opposite. We see them, you know, get kicked out the back door. And you know, even yesterday, you know, I, I got a bunch of calls from agents, and it's it's something that's just completely out of the norm when they were talking about, you know, the possible tax funding that may be used to assist some of these individuals that are doing drugs and perhaps, yeah. you, know, you know, hand out crack pipes. Clean, clean crack saying. pipes. They want clean crack pipes. Yeah, and, and I'm sitting here going, so what a slap in the face from this administration to do something like that, facilitate, create more of a magnet for drug use while there's not just Border Patrol agents, but... You know, law enforcement across the country risking their lives every day to keep drugs off the streets. True. That's very, very true. You know, they seem to reward bad behavior rather than, than prosecute it. That's exactly correct. Uh, but again, you know, I mean, look, Secretary Mayorkas, Chief Ortiz, you know, they're in a position where they have more ready knowledge to explain the reasoning for how things are done to the White House, and they they didn't take the time to do that. They allowed them to become villains, and even Chief uh, Secretary went out there and said, you know, hey, these agents are going to pay. 
Yeah, exactly. You, know? you didn't even ask. You didn't ask even and know all the. They were convicted. You didn't in, even in know the, everything. Yeah, they were convicted in 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 in, in public rather than you know. Uh, let's find out. And then let's they get opened the up the investigation. And that's another thing. You know, uh, they're opening. They opened up the investigation. They're under investigation. How much money and time is being used on a investigation where there's nothing to investigate? Yes, that's just ridiculous. Exactly. Let me ask you uh, about uh, you know here in here in uh, in the Del Rio sector we had that situation with the uh, Haitians under the bridge, uh, right. the several thousand. Uh, what is what what are things like over in uh, in uh, in Arizona, both on the Mexican side as well as on our side? Are you guys seeing right. tent cities or anything like that yet? So this is the, the, the difficult part of explaining something sometimes in Arizona. So Arizona, particularly the Tucson sector. That's not counting Yuma, just the Tucson sector. The Tucson sector, it borders 262 linear miles with Mexico. Mm-hmm. Now, 62 of those miles are on the Tohono O'odham Reservation, right. which is a Native American reservation that is both uh, a part of it is in the United States, the other part is in Mexico. So there's different treaties, there's different agreements that have been made there. So a lot of the way that you're able to patrol in other parts of the country, you're not able to do so on the reservation because of treaties and what have you. So that area is controlled by the Sinaloa cartel. That's who controls it. That's who says how many individuals enter illegally, how many drugs come in through everything. They control the whole thing there, right? So, but what makes it more difficult is that the transport area from there to the to the nearest uh, processing center is in an excess of two hours. So that's where the difference is from here to some parts of Texas, parts of Yuma, and really realistically different from any other part in the country. So if agents experience a large group in that area, they, they have to drive over two hours to get to a processing center, in which time those two hours that they drive away, and obviously the two hours that will take them to come back, uh, you have a lot of open area and gaps on the border. And as an example, uh, when you're referring to the Haitians that were underneath the bridge, I believe it was about 15,000 is what they had said. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Haitians. In that time that everyone was going back and forth of, this is horrific, we have 15,000 Haitians underneath the bridge, which, let's remember, ultimately they were released. Yes, they were. United States. But during that time, uh, in Tucson sector, there was over 20,000 gotaways. Oh, my goodness. During that so, so the 15,000 under the bridge, that's, that's something that your eyes going to look at, and you're going to see, and it, it's uh, you know something to look at, right? But you have 20,000 gotaways in Arizona during that time that no one even looked this way. Uh, the media didn't even do any story of it because obviously the visual wasn't there. And that's where it's so much difficult. So out here you have a lot of gaps that later on you look at the numbers and you figure out, hey, there's a lot of gotaways. Tucson sector leads the entire country when it comes to gotaways. And the gotaways are, to me, uh, very scary because since you see that the cartels are working together, so this is what the cartels will do. They'll send over, say, a group of 300 individuals that they know don't have prior criminal history, but it's enough for agents to have to transport, and now they have to take their time processing, and all that is time on task removed from the border. The scouts in the desert see that, the drug cartels see that, and once they see agents move out of the area because they have to go process. Now, keep in mind, like I said, out here in Arizona, it's a two-hour drive. That's when they take advantage to bring, one, drugs into the country. And if you look at the numbers showing that, you know, they lead the country in gotaways, they're obviously bringing individuals across that are more than likely true criminals that have prior criminal history or God knows what else intentions they have or what country they're from. Ah. Gone yes. are the days of people coming across just to get a better job. That's right. Border Patrol last year arrested individuals from 162 different countries. Wow. Incredible. Buddy, we're going to need to let you go. Uh, but, uh, gosh, I mean, you know, this whole situation happening along the entire length of the border 
from uh, San Isidro and, and San Diego all the way to Brownsville. Um, it's uh, it's disturbing, to say the least. No, it, it's definitely disturbing. Uh, but what I, the American public needs to understand that, you know, I speak to the agents all the time. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, I speak on behalf of the council because we represent their voices, and uh, they have not waved the white flag. And members members of leadership, perhaps, you know, have, have decided to to just raise their hands, or or even worse, um, you know, accommodate the criminals. But I can assure you that the agents are still out there doing the best they can, and you know, just hoping that the policies change pretty soon, and that people wake up. You know, I, I constantly get different messages from different agents, and they say, "What world are we living in?" Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> it's just it, it is scary. But at the same time, you know, hey, uh, I, I took an oath, and as, as well as many did, and that is to defend this country, to defend the Constitution against all enemies of foreign and domestic. <laughs> and uh, I take that oath very seriously. You got soon. it, buddy. We want to thank uh, our good friend Art Del Cueto, the uh, Vice President of the uh, National Border Patrol Council, uh, talking to us out of Tucson. Thank you very much, Art, and we'll be chatting with you some more later on, all righty? Thank you, partner. Anytime you need me. You got it. Oh, we want to mention real quick that you do have a podcast. You do have a radio uh, show, and uh, people can listen to it, correct? I do. I definitely do. Um, it's on Spotify. I haven't been removed yet. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm not boycotting Spotify. So I'm on Spotify, and I'm also on iHeartRadio, and it is called The Green Line. And, you know, I, I do a weekly show on there. I post it, you know, once a week, obviously. I have guests. I do whatever I can to spread uh, knowledge and the truth of what's happening on our borders. Excellent. Thanks a lot, Art. You take care, buddy. Bye. Be safe. Thank you. Bye-bye. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.